Well, if you're uh, if you're ready to to rock and roll, then we'll we'll just jump straight into this. Yeah, rock and roll is what I do best. So. <laughs> totally. Well, look, it's a real it's a real pleasure to have you on, sir. You know, I was um I was made aware of your story a few years ago when I first stepped into the uh, the research field of UFOs, and um, you know, when it comes to the discussion of a connection between UFOs and our strategic nuclear capabilities, the Maelstrom air force base incident that you were a part of is is always one of the first cases that i believe to be worth mentioning now now for everyone listening robert salas is in fact organizing a press conference in washington dc in the coming months on the connection between ufos and nuclear weapons and he's trying to uh, raise funds in order to make this happen he does have a gofundme page as well as a paypal through which you can donate towards the uh, the costs of organizing the press conference so if you want to donate towards the establishment of this press conference you can find uh, links to robert's gofundme page and paypal in both the description box of this video and you can find it pinned to the top of the comment section robert thank you very much for being here happy to be here jay uh, i think we've got a um critical time right now, uh, important time that uh, where we could take advantage of, of the situation. Uh, so um, I'm ready to speak with you at length about this uh, and uh, answer any questions you might have. Absolutely. And I appreciate that. Um, now, the majority of my audience will already be uh, familiar with your story, but there will be those listening who have never heard of you or your experience. And so I think the best way to start this conversation today would probably be if you could just give a little bit of background on yourself, uh, your military career, and then tell us about that fateful night in March 1967 when you were stationed at Maelstrom Air Force Base. Uh, yeah, as far as my military career, uh, I uh, entered the U.S. Air Force Academy in 1960, graduated in 64 and then spent seven years active duty in the Air Force. Um, about three of those years was at, uh, as a missile launch officer uh, stationed at Maelstrom Air Force Base, um, where uh, I was part of a crew of two, uh, and we had control over 10 nuclear missiles when we went out on alert status, which was uh, about every three days. Um, so these were what we called intercontinental ballistic missiles, uh, nuclear-tipped warheads. Uh, as far as the, there are two incidents that happened within eight days of each other. The first incident was uh, March 16th, 1967. It involved uh, uh, Echo Flight, uh, in command of Echo Flight was uh, Captain Eric Carlson and Lieutenant uh, Walter Fiegel, later Colonel Walter Fiegel. Uh, Fiegel was on duty when the incident occurred. Uh, one of his missiles went off alert. They, he had happened to have um, two of the sites manned by uh, maintenance personnel and security personnel who had stayed overnight uh, to work on the, uh, the launch facilities. The, the missiles are actually located about a mile or so away from a central hub called the Launch Control Center. Uh, so there were about 10 missiles surrounding this hub. Um, one of the missiles went down in echo flight. Uh, Fiegel called out there and uh, asked what was going on because he hadn't given the authorization to shut down a missile. Of course, these are critical, were critical, of course, to our uh, idea of national defense at the time. Uh, well, the, uh, the guards said, or the maintenance people said that uh, they didn't do anything to shut down the missile. And by the way, there's a UFO hovering overhead. Um, and at that point, all 10 of his missiles started going down. He lost all 10 within, uh, within seconds. Uh, so that was the first incident. Uh, briefly, that was the first incident. And then eight days later, I was on alert status. Um, um, and another flight we called Oscar flight 
And uh, I got a call first from my topside guard. We had six guards upstairs. We were underground in a uh, uh, a bomb-proof, basically bomb-proof capsule made of concrete and steel, about 60 feet underground, locked in for 24 hours. Uh, and he called down and said, sir, we've been seeing some strange lights in the sky. Uh, going very fast, stopping on a dime and then reversing course, making 90 degree turns, making no engine sound. So they're not airplanes. Uh, so he reported this. I kind of dismissed it uh, as kind of, um, I don't know, but uh, I, I, I guess I, I made fun of the possibility that it could have been UFOs. I even said the word to him and he said, well, they're not airplanes, but they're flying overhead. This was a serious call. It was not a joke. It was not a uh, something to pass the time. Uh, but uh, for some reason, I didn't take it too seriously. I basically hung up on him. Uh, but within five minutes, he calls back. And this time he's screaming into the phone. He's frightened obviously frightened he's got all the guys uh, the guards out there with their weapons drawn and uh uh he's babbling at first i couldn't make much sense out of him uh finally calmed him down and he said that uh, we're looking at a glowing and pulsating red light uh object uh hovering above the front gate about 40 50 feet in diameter uh it seemed to be oval shaped although it's hard to see within the brightness of this light um and he wanted me to tell him what to do next uh, by that time i thought we very well could have been under some sort of an attack because he was clearly highly agitated highly frightened and uh, i just so told him make sure nothing comes inside the uh the uh, fenced area uh, uh, take whatever uh, ever actions you have to take to keep that from happening so uh, he hung up the phone I went to tell my uh, commander about the phone calls and then we heard these bells and whistles going off klaxons really and looked over at our status board and uh, sure enough the missiles were going off alert while this object was still up there it, uh, we lost all 10 of our missiles within seconds. Uh, so that's basically it. Uh, the next day we had to report to our commander and, uh, and uh, fellow from Air Force Office of Special Investigation uh, shoved a piece of paper in our faces, said, sign here. You're never to speak of this again, ever. Uh, and uh, so we were forced to sign that. And uh, I, I did not speak of it for about 27 years. Yeah. The, uh, the guards tried to um, contact me the next day, and they actually begged me to come see them and, and speak to them about what I knew about the situation, because uh, obviously they'd been frightened by it. They, they didn't know how to explain it to themselves. Yeah. And uh, I had to turn them down. I had to... Uh, I told him I, I couldn't talk about it any any longer to anyone. Um, uh, and so that really got to me. I've, I've never forgotten that. And so it has motivated me these last uh, 25 years that I've been outspoken about this uh, to do something about this. And that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm preparing this press conference on the 19th of October um i think it's we have an excellent opportunity now to uh, get congress to take it take this seriously since the navy has already admitted um, that um, this is a real phenomenon uh they can't explain it uh at least that's what they're saying they can't explain it uh, <laughs> uh they don't know it's if it's extraterrestrial or not but it is obvious it's an easy calculus that if we cannot produce aircraft that can do these things, which were described by the Navy pilots, which uh, my guard described to me, uh, 
so that and that was uh, over 50 years ago. Uh, if we haven't developed any aircraft that can do these maneuvers, um, then they cannot be from planet Earth. It's a very simple, rational argument that these are extraterrestrial. You know, in in um, in relation to your own experience at Maelstrom Air Force Base, what what do you think this object was doing? Have you got any theories on the intentions? I mean, it was obviously penetrating and influencing the safeguarding systems of these nuclear payloads of the ICBMs. There was obviously some sort of electronic manipulation of the systems at the base. But do you have any ideas on the overall intentions behind this incursion? Uh, yes, I've concluded in my own mind, uh, and this is my conclusion, that uh, what they're doing is simply sending us a message. And the message is clearly get rid of your nuclear weapons. Uh, my incident and the incident echo flight uh, eight days earlier are not the only ones. Um, uh, one of the uh, witnesses who will speak at the press conference, uh, he had a similar incident in 1966. Uh, there have been other incidents where UFOs have come over nuclear weapons bases and interfered with uh, in various ways, uh, but did no damage. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll emphasize that in my case and in the echo flight case, there was no permanent damage done to the weapon systems or their equipment or anything like that. The only thing that happened was the UFO um, must have sent a signal of some sort uh, through 60 feet of earth and concrete and then penetrating these triply shielded cables shielded from EMI electromagnetic interference and sent a particular signal to a particular piece of hardware uh, called the logic coupler, which is part of the guidance system uh, and simply upset uh, what we called a um, inertial guidance platform um, so that if the missile were launched, it would not be able to calculate its position and therefore would not know where the target is, et cetera. Uh, so that's all it did. Uh, it was a very simple fix to uh, reorient the missiles uh, uh, and uh, put them back on alert status and that was done within 24 hours uh, in, in both cases. So uh, again, I want to emphasize there was no damage done to the equipment. These UFOs have been seen over weapons storage areas, uh, such as at Aviano Air Base in 1979, uh, Bentwaters Base, where you are uh, in 1980. Yeah. Uh, and they simply flew over, uh, shown a beam of light on the storage area and flew off. The same thing happened in uh, Schosterburg, the Netherlands, um, and other places. Uh, so like I said, this is not the only incident of its kind that has happened. And the conclusion I draw from all of this, the fact that there was no uh, people were not injured. There was no damage to the uh, equipment. They were simply trying to send us a message for our own good. Well, this seemed this seemed to really uh, increase in volume during the height of the Cold War because there does seem to be documented evidence from both the U.S. and the USSR that there were these incursions during this time where nuclear fallout was looking like it could actually be possible. So I, I think you're right. I, I mean, I would agree with you personally that it seems to be, uh, you know, a, a form of, of signaling to the human race that maybe we shouldn't be stockpiling <laughs> nuclear missiles. Yeah, uh, these are not weapons of war. Right. Uh, they're weapons of mass, massive destruction. Um, uh, and if they are used in another war, of uh, any sort, of any size, really, uh, it would quickly escalate to all-out nuclear war. Uh, 
and obviously destroy every living thing on Earth if we use the the, the weapons that are in uh, in storage. Uh, there's about twenty thousand uh, nuclear bombs. If you count uh, not only ourselves but so uh, the Russians uh, and the uh, seven other nuclear powers of the world. There's about 20,000 of those bombs. Uh, each of those bombs could decimate uh, a city of a million people, uh, such as London or Los Angeles. Um, and it wouldn't take long before um, it would destroy our civilization. And we are now in the process, uh, you know, my country, yours, Russia, China, of uh, developing hypersonic platforms for these uh, for these nuclear assets now, which is uh, a disturbing adaptation. That's right. That reduces the response time um, that we would have in case we detected uh, uh, an attack. Um, also, uh, both Russia and the United States are uh, have programs now very active to miniaturize the physical size of these bombs. And uh, of course, we've had tactical nukes probably um, at least since the 70s. Uh, by tactical nukes, I mean small, smaller size nukes that are used on uh, fighter bomber aircraft. Uh, used by NATO. Uh, but anyway, we're now in, involved in programs to miniaturize the size of these bombs so that they can be used in war. They can be used in uh, these so-called small conflicts. Um, and when that happens, uh, again, uh, if one of those small tactical nukes is used in combat, it won't be long before that's escalated to using the larger one. Now, am I uh, am I correct in in saying that you first went public about your experience during the two thousand and one national press conference that was organized by Dr. Stephen Greer and the Disclosure Project? Was that the first time you went public? No, no, I went public in nineteen ninety six. Oh, wow. right, okay. Uh, when I walked into the news office of the. Um, Great Falls Tribune in Great Falls, Montana, and told my story to the editor there. He published a, a first front page article, actually, in Great Falls, Montana, in the, in the Tribune. And that was my first uh, public announcement uh, that this was a UFO event. And then uh, after that, I spoke on the radio and, and had uh, one or two TV programs and all that was before the 2001 conference in Washington D.C. Right, right. But um, in terms of in terms of that conference, I mean, you, you know, you because uh, I, I, you know, that was one of my first introductions for yourself. But I think for a lot of people in the UFO community, that conference is 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 so groundbreaking in the uh, in the gravitas of the presentation. You had so many highly credible military testimonies from extremely high-ranking individuals and people who are handling a lot of sensitive materials like yourself and uh and I, it, it just amazes me that something like that a, a gathering of people with their credentials with their testimonies didn't permeate out wider and wasn't incorporated into a larger understanding about this issue i mean most people today who are hearing about uh, you know the tic-tac ufo the uss nimitz they've never even heard or, you know, uh, they've, yeah, they've never heard of things like this press conference. And I'm just wondering uh, what your opinion is on, on why this didn't permeate out wider. Is it just because at that time we then went into the Middle East and there was 9-11 and, you know, there was a lot of cultural shocks happening at that time. So I can imagine that might have prevented this from expanding, but it just seemed like such a, a unique gathering. Why do you feel that it didn't really uh, move us forward to a place which, you know, would be representative disclosure? Yeah, this is an interesting question. Um, I guess one of the reasons is because the U.S. government, for example, and I, I think the U.S. government is key. I'm not trying to 
say the U.S. is all powerful, but uh, I, I think because uh, the United States uh, has been very active in taking a leading role uh, in the UFO phenomenon since 1947, uh, the Roswell incident. Uh, but because there was no official government statement regarding, uh, let's say, our press conference, we did get all the major net networks. Uh, we, we got nationwide, international reporting on our conference. The same thing happened in 2010 when uh, I helped organize another um, uh, National Press Club press conference on specifically on nuclear weapons and UFOs. That was 2010. That was 11 years ago. And then again in 2013, uh, uh, we got good press reviews there. Um, and good press reports. In fact, uh, uh, I could have been on uh, NBC News if I wasn't flying back on an airplane that next day, but that didn't happen. Um, so it's not that the press has not been interested, but the press is fickle, of course. Mm. They go on to the next exciting news story the next day. Uh, the press is not the issue per se. It is the the inaction of, of government agencies, the Congress, the inaction to take it seriously. Well, that's why I say today we have an opportunity because now the, the office, uh, let's see, it's called the uh, Director of National Intelligence, mm -hmm. uh, basically the US intelligence agency head of all the agencies, of which there are about 17 intelligence agencies, uh, has admitted that there's something to this needs to be looked at, researched, and the Congress has now taken an interest and asked them to do that. However, um, I'm convinced that there is a very strong uh, and highly secretive organization, which I'll call the UFO Cabal. It's an international organization organized to hold these secrets. And they are not going to uh, reveal what they know uh, easily. So even though the ODNI, which is uh, basically a political appointee, uh, has promised to look into this, uh, they're going to have a hard time getting the the real secret documents released. Uh, that's why I believe that open hearings, open hearings where witnesses like myself and many others come forward and under oath uh, give their story and their evidence. And I think my, my case, I have a lot of compelling evidence. Uh, and present that before the American public and the world public, I think that could do the trick in opening up uh, a lot more of the secrets. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. And I really do hope you're right. I, I have a lot of optimism for where this could all end up going. I mean, you've, you've, you've kind of answered a little bit what I was going to look at asking you next, because you know, since two, I think specifically as a landmark year since 2017, with the you know the publishing of the New York Times stories on UFOs from uh, journalists Leslie Kane and, and Ralph Blumenthal, alongside um, the internal restructuring that's taken place within the U.S. government's intelligence and defense, uh, you know, architecture in relation to handling UFO data. So you've got you know the changing of Navy guidelines the creation of a new reporting mechanism for U.S. Navy personnel who actually see and experience UFOs on duty, um, the, the, the formation, of course, of the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force, and as you just mentioned, the preliminary assessments, and we have some further pending reports on UFOs from the Office of the uh, Director of National Intelligence. So the UFO conversation has been taken from uh, you know, the restricted perimeter fence of a stigmatized subculture and has been thrust onto the stage of geopolitical discourse as a potential threat to national security. And I'm just wondering, 
how you feel about the way in which the UFO subjects being publicly managed by entities within the US government? Do you feel that we're taking steps in the right direction? Are you concerned about any aspects of the publicly developing narrative? What are your what are your thoughts on the modern UFO conversation? Okay, well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in a nutshell, this is not my first rodeo. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, we have had Congress take an interest in UFOs before. We've had congressional hearings. Uh, the last one, I believe, was uh, 1968 where there were, you know, witnesses were brought in, not witnesses, more so-called experts uh, like Stanton Friedman, um, uh, Dr. Uh, James McDonald, who's a, a meteorologist, but, uh, and, and J. Allen Hynek. This happened in 1968. Uh, before that, 1966, then the Air Force said, okay, we're going to do a um, scientific study of the UFO phenomenon. 1966, they, uh, uh, but I have proven and I can prove and I will prove, uh, actually this weekend, I'll be speaking at the uh, MUFON International Conference in Las Vegas. And I will show specifically how the Air Force covered up the UFO phenomenon, including our, our incidents. Uh, so uh, these are the techniques uh, that speak to the validity that there is indeed an organized secrecy cabal within the U.S. government and other governments, by the way, uh, your government as well. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, who are uh, holding these secrets very tightly. And so even though, like I said, the uh, intelligence community has told Congress, yes, we're going to report back to you. I will bet you, uh, well, anyway, if I were a betting man, <laughs> I'd say that when they come back with their next report, they're going to say something like this. We have looked at it, and yes, there are some interesting files that we have. However, it's going to take um, uh, more, much more time. We're going to need uh, financing. We're going to need uh, resources to study this properly. And uh, the, the, then we'll give you another report in uh, six months. Uh, they're they're going to hear things like that. So in other words, it's going to be a delaying tactic. This has happened before many times. If, uh, you know, good research, a UFO researcher can point to other times, uh, such as 1952, when we had a big flap over Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. Many pilots saw these objects. They tried to intercept them, couldn't. Uh, the Air Force came out again, said, wow, this is very interesting. We're going to have to study this. Well, uh, they turned it over to the CIA and the CIA said, uh, we don't want the public to know much about this. So we're going to uh, promote a disinformation program. That was the Robertson report. Um, so they've got all kinds of tricks up their sleeves and we cannot rely on Congress uh, the U.S. Congress to take any significant action on this. Uh, they're a political body. They're worried about their next elections. This is going to have to be a grassroots effort from the populace of the world to demand uh, that these secrets be released. And that's, again, uh, the key to that, I think, is an open or open hearings uh, televised to the world uh, so that the world can hear from actual witnesses and not these talking heads I call kibitzers. Yes. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, I absolutely agree. And something that uh, recently came up that's caused me, a, caused a little bit of concern, not sure if you're aware, um, but within the Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2022, within 
the uh, the kind of bureaucratic verbiage that you can scroll through through that defense bill. They've now included with alongside the UAP task force within a position of oversight is the uh, National Air and Space Intelligence Center, which is the intelligence branch of the United States Air Force. So the United States Air Force has been very quiet, hasn't said anything, obviously has a very controversial historical background involved with this. And now their intelligence branch has come into the conversation and said, you know what, I think we're going to, uh, you know, be in a position of oversight over this data. So that doesn't fill me with much hope, the fact that the Air Force has squeezed itself in now. No, not at all. Uh, in fact, it was the uh, uh, AFOSI, uh, the Office of Special Air Force yeah. Office of Special Investigation, that uh, made me sign that non-disclosure document. Oh well, there we go. Uh, so <laughs> they're very much involved in keeping the secrets. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned, uh, you know, you mentioned my country as well in terms of secret keeping, and uh, I, I think that. Um, it's it's more than likely in terms of Western state secret keeping. I, I personally think that the Five Eyes group, so the intelligence group of you know New Zealand, Australia, uh, Canada, US, and uh, UK, this kind of signals intelligence sharing network between the Five Eyes Alliance. That's most likely where a lot of this is is uh, is hidden. But I, I do have a lot of suspicions about the private sector. I think that the private sector has probably absorbed a lot of this data because then it com it completely obfuscates, tr you know, traditional oversight, governmental oversight, and and that would be a very good way to hide it. Yeah, the private private sector is very much involved. There are, um, I just looked it up, about five million people in uh, the U.S. intelligence, uh, military, private sector contractors that uh, have access to classified material. And a lot of those people can classify material. Mm. In other words, uh, say, oh, you can't look at this. This is secret or top secret, whatever, uh, these projects they're working on. Uh, so you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, the, the secrets are very valuable, uh, as you might imagine. Uh, I am certain that craft have been recovered, that uh, back engineering uh, exercises and uh, studies have been performed, uh, and some technology has been gleaned from these extraterrestrial craft. Uh, so that's one way they can be valuable. The other way, of course, is uh, to use as bargaining chips between nations. Right, yeah. Uh, these secrets can be used in that way. Uh, and, of course, any secret is power. It's some sort of political or social power. And uh, power corrupts. Power yeah. corrupts. You know, I've, 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 like I imagine you have as well, I've spoken to too many people and seen too many credible accounts to not believe that there is, is definitely a possibility for the existence of black budget programs that are dealing with these types of materials. It, it, just, seems, uh, it just seems obvious to me that that would be something that would happen. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I kind of find it ironic, especially if there is clean energy solutions to be found within that area um, that are being hidden from us. I just find it ironic that one of the excuses given could be, you know, the defense of, of the nation, national, national security interests. We don't want our foreign adversaries like Russia or China to have this type of stuff. Whilst at the same time, we have nuclear weapons poised at each other. We're destroying our ozone. We're, we're breaking down our habitat. It's like, well, you know, the cards are already stacked against us. It would seem sensible to me to bring out the clean energy solutions and try and develop this stuff in an open forum. But it always comes down to national security and wanting to hold on to your treasures. Uh, it's not only the so-called national, uh, national security is used as, as an excuse. Uh, yeah. Time for people to uh, move large sums of money around in governments. Uh, but uh, you're also fighting the uh, the oil industry. Yeah. 
the nuclear power industry. Uh, and those industries, of course, are very strong and, uh, and, uh, and support politicians all over the world. So you got to think of that, too. Do you think, um, do you think that we have, I mean, obviously, you, you, you don't know, it would just be pure speculation, but do you think that we have actually developed ac actionable technologies from, from secret studies into, you know, UFO materials, crash retrievals? Do you think that, because there are, you know, there are people that would say that there's an entire secret space program and, you know, and I, I'm not sure yet where I place my level of belief on that, but I'm, I'm pretty certain that they are reverse engineering and they're looking into this kind of stuff in the black somewhere very secret but whether or not they've made leaps and bounds and had success in repeating this kind of technology that mirrors UFO capabilities, I, I'm not sure. Where, where do you personally sit on that? Uh, uh, number one, I don't think they've been able to completely duplicate uh, craft mm. that we've seen. However, having said that, I'm pretty well convinced uh, from... Uh, information I'm aware of that I won't get into uh, that they have attempted and somewhat succeeded in um, in building a, a replica of somewhat it's not a uh, an exact uh, duplicate of a, of a flying uh, UFO but it is approaching that uh, and has been flown. Uh, and the, these have been secret experimental flights, probably in area, places like Area 51. Um, so I think that has happened. However, I don't think they're anywhere near, uh, by the day, I mean, the cabal is anywhere near understanding uh, uh, completely how these things operate. Um, um, and a lot of other questions. I think they're still studying that. And that's... Uh, uh, now, who has what secrets? I have no way of knowing that. Um, so, but I, I do think that the, these attempts have been made. There have probably been some uh, things produced by industry uh, that are a result of these backed engineered projects. That is likely, but again, I, I could not uh, specify to that. Have you, uh, since you've come out about this and, and maybe even since you've put out the idea of doing this press conference, have you had people come out, you know, send you an email, send you a letter saying, I've been involved in, in this, that or the other? Many. <laughs> God, and, yeah. Yeah, I've been doing this for 25 years. Uh, uh, I take it with a grain of salt. Um, yeah, I've heard... I've gotten contacted by a lot of people who claim to know um, what's going on, everything that's going on, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, when push comes to shove, uh, they're unwilling to produce actual evidence. Mm. Uh, I'm uh, very open about what I know. Um, uh, when I speak at conferences, uh, and I've spoken over in over 15 countries, uh, every time I speak, just about someone comes up to me and says, uh, you know, I've got this photograph. I've, yeah. I've seen this thing. I've had this story. I've heard a, a ton of different stories. Um, and I, I don't just dismiss them off of hand, offhand, but, uh, you know, I just don't have the time to go into all of them or, or validate them. But uh, there are some uh, that are better than others. Uh, let's see. So uh, that's all I can say about that. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess I haven't got anything more to say. <laughs> no worries. Well, look, let's talk a little bit about the press conference. Did you say that you've got a date for it? Was it October the 19th, did you say? October the 19th. It's a date certain. Uh, starting sometime around 8, 8.30 in the morning, going till about 11. I am going to try like heck to get it into some kind of a, a streaming service so that the public can watch it real time. Um, 
will have at least four witnesses that will testify to their uh, involvement. Um, and these are ex-military, they're all ex-military at nuclear weapons bases, uh, uh, four, possibly five. Um, and after the press conference, well, we're trying to get uh, appointments with uh, representatives of Congress, the right. Senate, uh, to go visit um, and try to uh, promote open hearings. Uh, that would be our prime objective for all of this. Have you uh, have you got in touch with anyone, um, kind of any of the influencers within the UFO community, like Louis Elizondo or Christopher Mellon or anyone like that, to to see if they can help out in any way? Uh, well, Chris Mellon for sure has already uh, contributed, donated oh, that's good. That's to good. this conference, a generous donation. Uh, I'm sure he's behind what we're doing. There have been others, uh, Whitley Strieber, yeah, uh, and others who have supported me. I've gotten quite a bit of good support. I'm I'm very happy about that. We're about three quarters of the way um, to achieving uh, a minimum goal of ten thousand U.S. dollars. Uh, this is an expensive proposition. <laughs> uh, and uh, But we're going to get there. It's going to happen. There's no question about it. The conference will go on. Uh, and we are trying to get uh, uh, mainstream media, such as CNN, the New York Times, et cetera, to, uh, to attend. And uh, we're doing the best we can to uh, set up meetings with Congress uh, during that week. Uh, so we'll actually go over there and try to knock on some doors. Well, it seems like, you know, this is the perfect time to be doing this. I mean, the conversation has has been elevated over the last couple of years, and now people are very interested. Mainstream media is getting involved. And uh, it, does, it does seem like the best time to bring up this type of connection, because although there is the occasional mention of it, there is a serious lack of uh, mainstream reporting on specifically the connection that seems to exist between UFOs and nuclear weapon systems. Um, you know, that seems to be a point that has only cropped up a couple times within the media. Um, what influenced you to push for the conference now? Is it because you see this as the ideal time uh, in regards to media interest and political interest? Well, uh, as you say, the... Uh... The connection between UFOs and nuclear weapons has been uh, dismissed. It hasn't really been focused on in the media. Uh, we've seen a lot of, you know, Lou Elizondo and uh, uh, other people coming forward and talking about this, the UAP uh, in general. And uh, uh, but I can assure you that there is a very good case for demonstrating the connection between nuclear weapons and UFO sightings, and not only uh, nuclear weapons, but nuclear power plants. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, they're also concerned about our use of nuclear power. So uh, yes, I did want to put a focus on it. And yes, I think this is a very opportune time to do it. Uh, because I want to also emphasize the excessive and extreme secrecy surrounding this topic. Um, like I said, the, uh, we're going to get a steady diet of in the intelligence community dragging their feet on producing actual or uh, investigative reports uh, uh, in, in our history, because this has been going on since 1947, um, since the, at least then, since the Roswell incident. Um, and these secrets have been held all that time. So you can see the difficulty in uh, admitting uh, to that, uh, admitting to uh, all the times they've lied to us our governments have lied to us 
And I use don't use that word lightly, but that's exactly what they've been doing uh, about the reality of this phenomenon and what they know about it. And this has been going on far too long. I think the public is finally realizing this. And um, the public is going to have a rude awakening. A, uh, the general world population will have to uh, face up to the fact that indeed we are being visited by extraterrestrial civilizations. And so the question is, how much have our governments known all this time and, and how do we proceed from here? Well, you know, this is why bringing it back to what you said uh, a few a few questions ago, it, it really is going to have to be a, a grassroots movement that provides compounding pressure on the government because, right. you know, why would they want to talk about this dirty, dark history that they've got with this situation? I mean, you know, you're talking about a generational cover up decades and decades you know, uh, it's been going on since before I was born, since before my parents were born. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's a concerning and very intimidating thing to tackle when you're looking at the historical context. And, you know, the way it's been explained to me by, you know, a few different people, some of them with intelligence backgrounds, is that this is likely what we're seeing happen with with the, within the kind of narrative of 2017 onwards with the USS Nimitz and and all of this it's bubbling off the history because you know they they're swapping UFO for UAP which is a obvious kind of you know they don't want the connotations of UFO being attached to this new discussion and they're cutting off the UAP task forces chronological scope of view to 2004 like they can't go beyond 2004 into the history so it's like right so you're you're cutting off all of that amazing relevant data that's at the background of this conversation you're swapping ufo for uap you're saying that now we're interested because our sensors are more updated so we're actually able to look at these things more objectively and it's just it just seems to be a whitewash of history. It seems like they really don't want to address that. And I, I have optimism, but I think that, like you said, it's going to be grassroots. It's going to have to be from the people because they have no intention of revealing their faults to the American people or to the world. That's correct. Uh, they are... Mm, remember what uh, Charlton Hessen said about taking my gun from my dead cold hands. <laughs> that's, that's the same way they feel about uh, these UFO secrets. Um, because you're right, they're going to have to admit that they've been uh, deceiving the public, lying to the public for, uh, for decades. And um, so uh, that's a hard thing for people to do. Absolutely, it is. Um, but, you know, step by step, grassroot by grassroot, things like this press conference are going to hopefully push forward and make a difference. And what, what would be your ideal uh, result from something like this press conference that you're intending to do? The ideal result is that uh, we would have uh, worldwide coverage of the press conference. I'm going to ensure that it's... Uh, uh, like I said, there's a, a streaming uh, uh, Comcast or whatever you want to call it uh, available to the public and watch it real in real time. Uh, so because it's going to require a grassroots effort by the public, uh, I want as many people watching it as possible. And then ideally we will meet with someone like... Uh, Representative Andre Carson of Indiana, who has already stated he wants an open hearing. He's not the only one. I think uh, some of the other senators have also expressed that desire. And uh, if I can get them to do it, uh, make that iteration again in public, and then go ahead with plans to start an open hearing, that would be what I would consider a great success for this press conference. Now, you've mentioned uh, alongside the UFOs and, and nuclear weapons connection, you've talked about 
a, a global cabal, a control structure that is looking uh, and obfuscating UFO data. Is that something that you're looking to address during this conference? Because um, obviously within the mainstream narrative that we're having unfold, it, there's no real mention of control structures like this, because uh, for a lot of people, it suddenly becomes this knee-jerk reaction of, oh, it's a conspiracy, a big overarching conspiracy. I feel like the mainstream media is probably a little bit uh, apprehensive of, of jumping too deep into that. There has been some mentions of things like that, but really we're not talking about uh, you know a, a conspiracy so much uh, in terms of uh, obfuscation of this data for years and years. So are you looking to just address the UFOs and nukes connection, or during this conference are you planning to uh, talk about your beliefs and, and maybe other witnesses that you have uh, around the idea of a cabal of a of a illegal control structure. Well, I'm not, I'm going to do my best to stick with the facts as we know them. Uh, the idea of a international cabal. Uh, uh, I, I will try not to emphasize that uh, during the press conference. I may bring it up, but. Um, I think the existence of such an international organization will be a fallout at, will, after we have these open hearings. Uh, you're going to see uh, countries like uh, Italy, maybe even the UK, France, uh, Brazil, Peru uh, come forward and um, and admit that they too have had uh, very significant incidents in the past. In other words, I think there's going to be a, a domino effect from official U.S. hearings on this subject. And it's going to be an international domino effect. I think a lot of the a lot a lot of countries around the world are just dying to tell these stories that they are they know have happened in their countries. Um, and when that happens, obviously, people are going to ask, well, uh, how were these secret kept? How were these secrets kept so long? Uh, who coordinated uh, the inter uh, change and exchange of secrets uh, between nations, et cetera? And the existence of an international cabal will become evident as a result well I, I sincerely hope you're right especially speaking as a as a british uh, citizen because since all of this has come out in the mainstream media in america let me tell you not a single it, it's tumbleweeds over here there's nothing happening it's just it's just silence and i'm you know i i i, I can meet anyone in the streets in america pretty much and say hey have you heard of the the tic tac ufo and they'd be like oh yeah you know i've seen a cnn report a fox news report you if i get anyone off the street in in england and say that they'd be like what are you talking about the breath mints <laughs> they have no idea what a tic tac is outside of the candy so it's i really want to see this permeate out into an international conversation because it's not just an american phenomenon you know this is a global phenomenon we have plenty of uh, you know uh, credible cases in the uk like the bent waters incident which is just a you know a fascinating fascinating case and so i really do hope that we have uh, an international ripple effect, a domino effect, and and all we can all we can do is try and and put out what we believe to be true and what we know to be true from experiences like yourselves, and um, you know I, all, all power to you with what you're doing at the moment. And I'm wondering, have you been made aware since you've been working on this issue? Obviously, you've you've done a lot of networking, you've met a lot of people. Have you got any currently unknown? Uh, cases that you're going to present, things that the UFO community doesn't actually know about yet? Have you got any unique testimonies to bring? Or, uh, Yeah, well, this is going to be a, a benefit of open hearings. Uh, of course, I know of um, cases that the public hasn't heard about that are pretty fantastic. Uh, uh, one case involves um, UFO removing the cover off of a missile silo uh, which weighs 20 tons and placing it to the side. Um, 
uh, and this witness, uh, named Bradford Runyon, uh, very credible. And um, then there are another story. Other stories where uh, UFOs come, have come over and demonstrated their ability to uh, uh, show that they understand the inner workings of our missiles in great detail. Uh, but these uh, individuals who know of these uh, uh, or are witness to these events are reluctant to come forward at this time. Uh, but uh, once there are open hearings and uh, I inform the Congress of who these people are and how to contact them, uh, I think they will come forward. So, and, and that's just a few that I know of. Uh, I'm sure there are many others uh, that I don't know about that will also come forward, uh, not in only in my country, but again, in your country and others. Um, uh, witnesses just waiting to tell their stories uh, uh, and will probably do so uh, once, like I said, the key is these open hearings. Once these hearings are held, I think there will be a great impact worldwide. Do you think, do you think we'll ever get to the truth of the matter or are we forever going to be chasing this mystery into the far off reaches of of our human future. Oh no, we're we're going to get to the truth. We know the uh, facts. Uh, we, by I'm, I'm talking about the the governments and the people um, are aware of uh, the facts uh, involving the objects themselves and the uh, extraterrestrial beings behind them. However. Uh, the, these beings may have their own secrets that they don't want to reveal to us until, uh, let's say, we've developed a better relationship with them. Uh, I'm yeah. sure right now they consider us a very crude form of life. <laughs> and that uh, until and unless we uh, evolve a little more, uh, uh, they'd rather not have detailed discussions with us. Well, look, uh, you know, that, that's an area of this topic that I could go for, a, you know, two, three, four hours on is the, is the connection between UFOs and human consciousness, consciousness evolution, the development of the species. And uh, I think that that's definitely a key part of this, as well as the obsession and interest in our nuclear capabilities. I think that there is a, a grave concern for the evolutionary development of our species and where we may or may not go in the future. Um, but look, we're, we're coming up to the end of the hour that we had. So I would just like to remind everyone watching and listening that if you want to support Robert's efforts to establish a press conference on this issue, then you can contribute to his GoFundMe campaign or donate via PayPal. Links to both of these options can be found in the description box below, as well as pinned to the top of the comments section. Sir, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. You know, it's because of individuals such as yourself that we have a credible foundation upon which we can establish a valid interest in the UFO issue. And so I want to thank you for having the courage over the years to do all of the things that you've done and to speak up about what you yourself have experienced. And I find your desire to keep pushing for these answers to be very inspiring. So thank you very much for your time tonight. Uh, pleasure to be with you, Jay. And uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity. And uh, rest assured, I will uh, continue the fight as long as I possibly can. And we thank you for it.